Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the director of the Henry Nouwen Society. Welcome to a new episode of Henry Nouwen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Society is to extend the rich spiritual legacy of Henry Nouwen to audiences around the world. This week, I want to introduce you to one of Henry Nouwen's good friends and an editor of several of Henry's books, Robert Ellsberg. Today, Robert is the editor-in-chief and publisher of Orbis Books. He's written many books on the saints. He's a bit of a saint watcher. The official name for someone like that is a hagiographer. But Robert Ellsberg does not deliver plaster saints. In his latest book, A Living Gospel, Reading God's Story in Holy Lives, he delivers saints that, as Thomas Merton would say, demonstrate that holiness is really a matter of being fully human. And he looks for the living gospel that is written in their lives. Robert Ellsberg, you have authored seven books and been the editor on many more, at least a dozen more. You were the managing editor of The Catholic Worker. And you were a good and honest friend to Henry Nouwen in his lifetime and to all of us who carry forward his legacy. What was the criteria you used to choose the people you have featured in this new book, A Living Gospel? Well, I've written uh, a number of books uh, over the last 20 years uh, where I, I looked at uh, a range of of lives that really inspired me, uh, many of them drawn from the, the list of official or canonical saints. Uh, but uh, I, I, I strayed way uh, outside the, the usual boundaries there to in, include uh, people that maybe lots of people might think, you know, include on a list of potential saints like Oscar Romero and Dorothy Day and uh, but also artists and writers. Uh, the first book I, I I did was called All Saints, and I included a reflection for every day of the year. And I was uh, writing that while uh, our friend Henry was uh, still with us, and he, he became very, very uh, fascinated by what I was doing and kept asking me to send him uh, selections from the book. And I think that I, I totally uh, won him over when I included uh, an essay on Van Gogh in my list of saints. And uh, amazingly, uh, he just took his the initiative of sending a, a beautiful endorsement uh, for, for the book uh, to the publisher when I hadn't even finished writing it. And that turned out to be quite providential because then he, he died shortly after, very suddenly and unexpectedly, before the book was finished. And so I actually included a, an entry on Henry uh, in the book itself. So he's the only person who actually endorsed the book, who's also included in my my list of people I called saints, witnesses, and prophets for our time. So I was not really you know, claiming that all these people necessarily be, be canonized, but there are people who, to me, uh, kind of challenged and open our eyes or our, our hearts to uh, what it might look like to really live uh, an authentic uh, life, a questing life uh, for more, to be more alive, to be more loving, uh, to be more uh, courageous in response to the needs of our time. So that led to uh, a whole series of books I've done on on saints. Uh, But when it finally came to this new book, A Living Gospel, I wanted to step away from, you know, perhaps, um, you know, focusing on the biographies, uh, well, well, that is to say, to focus on kind of individuals as, as much as to, to think about what I'm trying to say about about holiness, which is that it's not uh, this 
kind of checklist of, of achievements or accomplishments in the spiritual or the moral life. Uh, but it's a quality that is expressed in the, the whole journey of a life in which the, the failures and the stumbling and the just the very human kind of qualities that we can all identify with are as much a part of the whole story of what makes somebody a holy or a saintly person as uh, the great you know, legacy that they that they have left behind. So in the book, I, I do focus on 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 several stories, and they're not necessarily people I think will be uh, uh, named official saints, but people who, in particular, uh, uh, illustrate or demonstrate that idea I'm kind of trying to get across about how 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 holiness or the spiritual life is expressed in the, in the whole journey of a life uh, in the biography uh, or what I call a live, the living gospel uh, that's reflected in in a, in a life of a person who is trying to be a, a disciple or a follower of Christ. And these are all people who have uh, intersected with my life in significant ways, uh, whether I knew them or not, uh, beginning with Dorothy Day, uh, whom I worked with for five years uh, at the Catholic Worker, the last five years of her life, and whose uh, influence and work and legacy have, have been very much intertwined with my life ever since. Uh, Thomas Merton, who was, uh, along with Dorothy Day, was one of the four people, four Americans, that Pope Francis singled out when he came and spoke to a uh, uh, joint session of Congress several years ago. Uh, the third is uh, our friend Henry Nowen, mm. uh, who I knew for uh, you know 20 years before he died, and uh, whose uh, life and legacy uh, again has uh, turned out to be quite an important part of my life since then as his as his publisher, including many posthumous books, and serving for some years as one of the trustees of his literary estate. Um, uh, Flannery O'Connor, uh, who is the uh, a Catholic uh, writer, novelist, whose uh, letters, which were published posthumously, uh, had a big influence on me, and in fact, uh, were, uh, was a catalyst for my deciding to become a Catholic many years ago. Uh, Charles de Foucault, uh, the, whose uh, effort to imitate the hidden life of Jesus, living as a, as a hermit in North Africa, uh, inspired uh, uh, several uh, communities, of the little brothers, the little sisters of Jesus, uh, who again had a big influence on me. Uh, he's, he, he has actually been beatified, so he's on his way to becoming an official saint. Uh, and then I look at uh, uh, women saints in general. Uh, we could talk about that later. Uh, but those are, those are the individuals that I focus on. But otherwise, it's all... Uh, kind of bracketed by my own kind of reflections on uh, on what we learn from looking at lives like this, looking at how the gospel is is expressed in a, in a concrete life, with the idea that that helps us consider and look at our own lives in a different light as a kind of gospel in the making. You know, I I, I kind of long, long answer to a very short question. No, Sorry. it's a, it's a good answer though because it gives kind of a gives the the big arc of the book a, a sense of the scope. But what I found was so wonderful it was in reading it. I just found it so inspiring. It was like you took me into the particulars, and in a way, 
each one became so much more accessible to me. And that was really something really spoken to my life about the choices we make on a daily basis in the way we conduct the day we're in. You know, holiness isn't um, isn't just being set apart and set away and, and in a cloister somewhere. It really is about a kind of setting of our uh, of the direction of our being. I think it isn't it Peterson who talks about faithfulness in a long faithfulness in a long direction or something like that. I, I I'm not quoting it properly, but there's something about the little things that you make choices to live in a certain way. Like with Teresa, the the little way. I found that I've heard so much about that, but read about it here and and uh, really appreciated what you wrote. Can I ask you what was what's the the what does the Pope have to say about holiness? What what what's there that inspired you? Um, uh, I, the Pope uh, has issued a, uh, a document on on holiness, uh, and uh, which I I wrote an introduction for that in, in an edition that we that we published at Orbis. Uh, so uh, I was very taken by by that because he 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 doesn't write about. Uh, just encouraging us to study the lives of the saints. He he makes it clear that's one of the points that I'm trying to, to get across in the book too, which is that uh, holiness is the calling of all Christians, and it doesn't mean that we're called to be canonized or have churches named after us, uh, but to be holy in our own way. And and by again, that doesn't mean to be set apart from all other human beings. <laughs> It means just fulfilling uh, the destiny or the calling that we receive when we identify ourselves in baptism or later as as uh, followers of Jesus. That we want to be more like Him. We want to learn His ways. We want His uh, His way of being to be increasingly reflected in the way we live and the way we make choices and the way we enter into relationships, uh, the way we respond to the to the needs of our neighbors and our 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 time in history. And so Pope Francis puts a lot of emphasis on on everyday holiness. And and again, uh, when we talk about saints, they can sometimes seem so charismatic or, uh, you know, uh, representing such extraordinary uh, uh, accomplishment uh, that we think, well, I could never be like that. Or, you know, we may pray to them or invoke their, their, their memory. Uh, ask for their for their help, but we don't think well. I could be you know like that. Uh, and the Pope he talks about you know that 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 there is a kind of manual for holiness that's right there in the Gospels, and it's not a uh, a big you know kind of training uh, program. It's simply the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, blessed are are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Those who mourn. The merciful. Uh, the peacemakers, and we can think of particular saints that kind of exemplify some of those virtues. Um, but we uh, we can also think of all kinds of people in our in our everyday uh, acquaintance, or relatives, or teachers, or neighbors, or coworkers that we know who who uh, set an example for us. Of and we think, yeah, I wish I could I could be a little bit more like that. Uh, I could be a little more patient. I could be a little more forgiving. I could be more generous. I could, you know, um, and and if we if we just try to do that in small ways, 
that is really the arena of of uh, of becoming a saint, uh, not just you know standing in the Colosseum facing the lions or something like that, or founding a religious order or giving away everything to to uh, to follow uh, Christ, uh, but beginning in, in very small ways, and that's why uh, you know Dorothy Day, for instance, who may probably will become an official saint one day, her causes and process. Her favorite saint was Saint Therese of Lisieux, who is, of course, a, a canonized saint, a very influential, one of the most popular saints of, of the 20th century. Um, but here's a, a, a nun who left behind this program of holiness that she called the Little Way, which anyone could practice, and it was simply a matter of of taking all the everyday little chores and encounters in your life uh, and doing them in a spirit of love and with a uh, consciousness of the presence of God. Mm. And if you did that, that could transform ordinary life, all the little frustrations, not, not just all the, you know, not just the times when you're in church or on your knees, but when you're doing the laundry or where you're interacting with somebody in, in, you know, in, a, in a grocery store or you're in traffic or wherever you are, mm-hmm. uh, opportunities to... Uh, to kind of suppress the impulse to to be angry or impatient, uh, even just to give somebody a smile uh, when you're not necessarily in a cheerful mood. Uh, that kind of generosity. Yeah. Uh, that the Dorothy Day took that very much to heart, and we think of someone like Dorothy Day, the founder of the Catholic Worker, who uh, spent all of her life uh, serving the poor, but also. Uh, was arrested many times for her peace witness or commitment to social justice. And we tend to focus on these kind of heroic things she did uh, and lose sight of the fact that, you know, like most people, her, her majority of her life was spent in very ordinary kinds of ways. And that if you read her diaries, which I actually had the privilege of editing, uh, you see how her spirituality was exercised in just everyday efforts to uh, be more patient, more forgiving, more more charitable, and that that prepared her then for the occasions when there was a, uh, a great, you know, challenge on the kind of uh, stage of history uh, for her to, uh, you know, to exercise. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, so that you asked about Pope Francis, he is uh, really giving very practical uh, advice. Uh, first of all, first to set our eyes on holiness and not to think of that as something, well, that's just for saints or that's for people who lived long ago or those, that's for nuns or priests or bishops or monks or something, uh, for everybody, uh, and to show how it is expressed in everyday life in ways that uh, may not be recognized by many people at all, uh, but that's the way it is with the communion of saints, that, that you have the, the canonized saints who represent just the sort of tip of the iceberg, uh, but then there's this great, fast, uh, invisible, uh, you know, majority of the iceberg that's submerged and, and, and that nobody sees, uh, except for you know, just unless you bump into them. Uh, and, uh, and 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 that is uh, that and that is what the Christian life is all about. You know, I feel in in this book, your invitation, you draw us in to realize that what we have in our lives is the opportunity and is the call 
uh, for this. I One of the quotes here that I liked very much, Madeleine Delbrel, is that how we say her name? Uh-huh. Madeleine Delbrel? Yes, uh-huh. yes, uh-huh. And, and it says... You describe her as they were, they call themselves missionaries without a boat, not traveling overseas, but crossing the borders of faith to bear witness to the gospel in friendship and solidarity. It's funny, when I read that, I thought, really, right now, I long for that kind of wholehearted Christian response because we are seeing so much of a a need to cross borders and, and have a heart of solidarity with people who have been feeling the injustice that goes over generation upon generation and are, are now just crying out saying we want it now and uh, it, that just reminded me of that the, the sense of of crossing over and offering friendship and solidarity and commitment well you know one of the, the lessons that I learned from Henry Allen and uh, worked with him on several books but but significantly on his his last book Adam that he was writing when he when he died which he intended as a as his kind of reflection on the creed. That is to say, uh, a statement of his kind of uh, basic belief uh, as a Christian. And as you know, he ended up writing that in a different way than he had intended. Uh, instead of just reflecting on the articles of the creed, he he decided to write it in the form of a, of a reflection on the life of Adam, uh, very severely. Uh, uh, you know, handicapped uh, adult man that he had cared for in the large community, uh, who died while he was working on this book. Uh, and it's you know coincidental that that he happened to be named Adam, uh, the name of the of the you know the kind of original human. Yeah. Uh, in the sense, you know, kind of he could have been named anything, yeah. but it it he he wrote the book uh, in the form of a of a kind of gospel, uh, the gospel that was kind of written in the life of this very obscure uh, man that a lot of people would have said, well, what was the point of his life? What did he accomplish? He had all this suffering and, and he died. Uh, but he had you know, just tremendous impact on the people who knew him and, and loved him, including Henry, who really considered him uh, a kind of uh, mentor to him uh, uh, in his uh, original time in, in large, taught him so many things. And so he tells the story in the form of the, of the gospel, kind of telling of, you know, about Adam's mission in the world and his, his, his ministry, his, his passion and his death, his resurrection in the hearts of those who, who loved him. And he says basically in the book the kind of message is that, the, that the, to be a Christian is to kind of learn to see uh, your own life in relation to the story that, that God is telling us, the story of Jesus. Uh, and that ties right in with the kind of title of, of my book, A Living Gospel, which is taken from uh, a line from a, a, a Jesuit from the uh, 17th century, Jean-Pierre de Cossade, who said that the, that the Holy Spirit writes no more Gospels today except in our lives and uh you know he talks about our our sufferings our tears our 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 joys our struggles all of that are are the kind of uh, paper and ink you know with which uh the holy spirit writes a, a living gospel you know in our lives and so kind of learning to you know become a christian not 
just learning to follow certain kind of rules or to believe certain things, but to, to learn to see all the things in our lives in relation to that story of Jesus. And that story of Jesus is not just about all the miracles that he performed. It's also about his loneliness and his stumbling and his the misunderstandings that he had to endure and uh, the, the apparent failures. Uh, and all of that is part of the story that God was telling through that. Uh, and that connected me with, then you asked about, about Pope Francis. And I, I, I think one of the things that, uh, ideas of his that had tremendous impact on me when I read it was when he distinguishes, in a, this was in an interview that he gave after he became Pope, between what he calls a laboratory faith or a lab faith in which everything is clear-cut and well-defined and kind of syllogistic, um, and what he calls a journey faith. A journey faith in which we travel in faith, in, in uncertainty, where we don't know what's going to happen, uh, where we stumble and make mistakes along the way, uh, but where we encounter God not just through our, our kind of these mathematical principles, but through uh, you know encountering God along the way, along the path, on the journey. You know, in Dorothy Day, she wrote she she called the column that she wrote for the Catholic Worker on pilgrimage. Uh, you know that idea that that our life is a is a journey, and it's not just uh, getting to the end that's the point of the whole thing. Uh, the journey itself is the point of the thing. It's it's being on the road. It is. It is being uh, open to the the unexpected, uh, the detours, the the uh, roundabouts, the the blocked uh, ways, the uh, traffic jams, the encounters we make, the friends we make, the mm -hmm. uh, the things that come into our lives and and, and surprise us. Uh, all of that was was the point of it, and uh, and and all of the people I write about, Henry, Thomas Merton, Charles de Foucault, Dorothy Day. They were all people who exemplified that in a way. Uh, they didn't just, you know, achieve something. Uh, they, they, they founded a community, and that's the end of the story. Uh, it is this ongoing uh, journey, this ongoing pilgrimage, in which they were constantly open to where God was calling them to go farther, to go deeper in ways that they couldn't see in advance. I did a documentary in, in Holland, um a number of years ago called Hidden Heroes. I was I was really eager to understand who had the courage and really asking myself if I would have had the courage to be one of the people that, you know, faithfully hid Jews that were, were needing to be hid rather than allowing the Nazis to take them. And I was very struck by the phrase that came up again and again, the responsibility for the person on our way. That that's that's who God's brought into your life. And you, you know, you can step aside from all sorts of things, but it's the person that God's brought on your way. And that kind of brings together also what you're talking about. One of the things that really touched me about the book is you have a really good knowledge of Henry. I mean, I've had people ask me before, do you think Henry will be sainted? And I, I, I read this in here from you and I go, you really got who Henry was. You write, he was afflicted by an inordinate need for affection and affirmation. He was beset by anxieties about his identity and self-worth. There seemed to be a void within that that could not be filled. And 
that gives me phenomenal hope because a lot of us are so drawn to Henry's writing because we go, oh boy, he gets the inside story on me. But there is this call, this phenomenal call, and, and I think you truly get that as well. And, and I find it fascinating because you also captured the fact that Henry began to realize that his death could be a gift. And I think that was an amazing part, even of this story. You come very, very close to it because obviously your world overlapped with Henry's because you were publishing the book, Adam, and Henry died before it was totally finished. And I think, I think that's fascinating. How do you think, um, in a sense, without, without making plaster saints of people, I think you have this gift for telling stories that really call us into being responsible for the place we are and for the people on our way. Well, I hope so. The, uh, you know, I, I think there are a lot of people who they read about Henry. Uh, you know, they're very moved by his his books. When they get to know more about him, and they say, "Gosh, he, he seemed like he's he's a very neurotic, needy person." Mm-hmm. Uh, and you he, 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 he know that because he, he writes uh, about it. He doesn't try to hide that or make himself out to be perfect <laughs> you know, kind of person. He, he lays it all there, and especially in the books that are, that are based on his journals. You see that right up to the end. I, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't see a lot of Henry in the, when he went to uh, after L'Arche, but when I did see him, he, he had seemed like he had grown so much uh, that that, that in, a, in a place where he'd really found a home, and had, uh, after all this kind of restless searching and going from one place to another, a place where he really felt himself loved, and where he learned how to love in a you know in a very generous uh, way. Uh, and I thought, gosh, he really kind of worked it all out by the end. You know, it seemed like. And then I read his uh, sabbatical journey, uh, which he's working on. You know, the last uh-huh. year of his life, and and right before he died. And you see that that all of the all the anxieties, all the neurotic kinds of worries and things that he had, are are there just to go right to the end. Uh, but still, he he's he even writes there, you know, that he had begun to see where God was speaking to him, even in those kind of problems or those those flaws, or uh, and that and instead of kind of trying to think that my job in life is to get beyond all that to be completely clear or healed and, and made whole in some way, that that God was welcoming him and calling him with all of his humanity. He didn't have to become a different person, yeah. but it was, you know, it was always going to be there, you know, right till the end. Um, but he had this kind of confidence that God was with him. Uh, and that he was, uh, you know, that he was, he was following where God was calling him, and that, you know, I think ultimately did, did give him a, a deep sense of, 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 of peace. And and so when you, you know, you, you read, you know, his last writings, he, you don't feel like, oh gosh, he, he just missed the mark. He, he never got to be what he was supposed to be. Well, none of us. It's an illusion to think that 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 our lives are ever finished. Yeah, uh, yeah, that we're done at some point, and that's what it means to be a saint: is that some kind of you know timer goes off, a little bell goes <laughs> off, like the turkey is done or something, take it out of the oven, uh, <laughs> all done, uh, ready to serve. Uh, 
know that that you know Henry why why he appeals to me in the company of the people I've written about is because he he uh, represents that 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 path of holiness that continues right up to the very end, our last breath, uh, and those who are faithful to the call of that journey, you know, are the ones who who are the ones who really interest me. And that's, I think, you could say the same thing of, of Thomas Merton and Dorothy Day and and uh, all of these people that, I, that, that I'm really attracted to. I love the fact that on, on Henry's deathbed, he was ba- basically saying, tell everybody I'm so grateful. I'm so yeah. very, very grateful. And uh, yeah. that's such a freeing gift. That's a freeing gift to everybody. Yeah, it doesn't feel like there's anything missing, does it? Uh, you know, I can't resist getting your take on the present time. Because you're a New Yorker, you've lived through the pandemic on the front lines of a lot of things happening, and we're all trying to live through it. And I'm curious if you're, you found some wisdom from the masters of social isolation, because, I mean, you obviously have studied them. You, you've told their stories in all saints, etc. You've talked about the saints that could deal with isolation. What are you learning, and what have you found that you can offer to us? Yes, early on, of course, when we, you know, like a lot of people, I was sent home from work uh, to work at, from, from home uh, here with my wife, and, and uh, for months we hardly, you know, left our, our house and had no idea how long this was going to last. And, you know, in the first week or so, it, it felt a little bit like an adventure, like going to, to go go camping in your backyard when you're a kid and you, you put up a little tent and you, you bring a, a flashlight and some some graham crackers and some you know, <laughs> uh, uh, toys and stuff like that. And you think yeah. this is going to be really great and for the first day. You know. <laughs> uh, and, so, and so at first it was kind of, well, this is interesting. You know, getting used to and then it begins to kind of drag on you know, for week after week and then month after month. And, uh, and then, you know, it raises the question for you, like, well, what am I, is this, am I, just because I'm home, does that mean I'm I'm not doing anything, or I, my life is is kind of in suspended animation? Or uh, and then I began to kind of reflect on a lot of the people, of course, that I've written about, who either embraced uh, solitude, or it was imposed on them. They didn't necessarily choose it; not what they would have chosen. And yet, who found uh, some kind of of uh, resources or wisdom in this experience. And I thought, well, that, that's something that, that, that will be, I can do <laughs> to share some of that. And so I began uh, just on Twitter, uh, um, and I in- invite all your listeners to follow me on Twitter at Robert Ellsberg. Uh, but I began uh, writing a series, hashtag Masters of Social Isolation. Uh, and I, I did about 20 of them or so. And then I, I did an article about that for, for the National Catholic Reporter. And I looked at, you know, for instance, um, you know, one of the things I think w- that, that was important for people to kind of understand was that is that in a time like this, uh, you know, we're not staying at home just to protect ourselves, um, but that this was uh, a, a sacrifice that we were making for the welfare of others as well, mm-hmm. uh, especially for people on the front lines working in hospitals and that sort of thing who are so overwhelmed, uh, that anything we could do to to uh, cooperate with you know, public health in that way was actually a, a work of mercy. 
Uh, and if we thought of it that way, rather than just, oh, gosh, I'm stuck here, um, you know, that, 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 that might give us a different way of looking at it. Uh, but then I looked at, you know, other people, whether you know, someone like, uh, some of these people had kind of obviously a, a vocation or a calling to solitude, like Emily Dickinson, uh, but the poet mm-hmm. uh, who hardly ever left her house, and yet traveled, uh, you know, far, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, that, that we, instead of thinking of, of the kind of, li- of the horizons as just being the, the four walls around us, uh, you know, an opportunity to go to go inside, or like or Henry David Thoreau in, in Walden, and and kind of think of this as going on an interior adventure uh, that we might not have chosen for ourselves, like going on a silent retreat or something. Uh, or then I thought of of someone like a um, uh, Father Walter Chiswick. He was a, a Jesuit priest who, for uh, uh, had a misadventures that, that caused him to, to be arrested in, in Soviet Russia or Stalin, and he was in prison for, for 25 years. Mm-hmm. And how he, you know, he felt at first, you know, when he felt the injustice of, of his situation and just wanted to kind of pound against the walls, it made him feel you know, terrible, like, a, like a, you know, trapped. Uh, but when he began to think that wherever he was, was where God wanted him to be at that moment, and that there were things that he could do through prayer or uh, reflection or just his encounters with those you know uh, fellow prisoners or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was the place where he was he he had been put there uh, to uh, express his 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 faith in his life, and that transformed you know a prison into kind of a paradise. Uh, so anyway, these are just examples of some mm-hmm. of the, the, the people that I that I thought about, uh, or even you know like Thomas Merton in his Hermitage, uh, that rather than kind of separating from him from the world, it through his correspondence and his reading and reflection, kind of became this uh, opening for him toward a deeper sense of solidarity with the world and its its uh, struggles and its sufferings. Uh, so, you know, now this has been going on for quite a few months. Uh, it's not just like the overnight, you know, backyard adventure and yeah. you know, sleeping bag and you know, whatever under the stars. And, uh, and and it's still, and it's not over. It's still yeah. kind of, you know, struggling to think like, well, that there are, um, you know, ethical and moral and spiritual uh, challenges that are being put to us every day through through this process that has so uh, interrupted and broken our sense of routine. It's um, interesting so because where are we in this? In this yeah, moment? yeah, yeah. Where are we in this? And and it's funny how we long for the new normal to just become solidified on our horizon, so we can say, "Oh, that's what it's going to be like." And I'm sure a lot of people want the new normal to look like the old normal, but I think the reality is it's going to be. We've got a long journey ahead of us, and it's it's interesting to say, well, what are the resources for this time? Uh, and and it really does cause you to to dig deep. I also value the fact that, in a sense, I think the space that happened for us through this made us all share in in the most painful thing to see to watch George Floyd literally die before our eyes and the response that that has brought worldwide i think that's i know you've got 
a family history and a history yourself of, of being an advocate for social justice. I'd love to just hear a little bit from you about what your thoughts are right now about this time, about where we are and where we're headed. Well, it's, um, you know, it's sort of, we're living in this kind of apocalyptic time. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, out of the book of Revelation or something with all these, you know, four horsemen and, and the seven seals and all this, you know, revel- apocalypse doesn't just mean destruction and end of the world or something. It really means unveiling. Uh, and we're experiencing a kind of of unveiling in which we're seeing how everything is sort of connected. Uh, there's a you know, concept of you know, intersectionality mm-hmm. uh, that uh, some scholars you know, use to, to, to show how you can't really, for instance, separate class and, and uh, se- sexual you know, discrimination and, and racism and all these kinds of things. They're all, they, they're all, all connected. But we're, we're seeing that you know, in, in so many different ways, and I think that that, 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 that image of, of, of George Floyd, uh, uh, an African-American man, under arrest on his stomach, his hands handcuffed behind him, with police sitting on him, and you know, one of them literally kneeling on his neck while he's slowly suffocating, saying, I can't breathe that became such a uh, potent uh, symbol and, and metaphor, not just for hundreds of years of racial uh, oppression and systemic uh, oppression of, of African-American people in this country, but something that so many people around the world could identify with, uh, of a feeling of just having the, 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 the life pressed out of them uh, by by an oppressive and seemingly indifferent uh, system that that uh, that puts more emphasis on on short-term um, profits uh, and uh, greatness uh, than it does on uh, you know the uh, sacred image of of, of, of God and in, in, in living beings and and the way that that you know is connected with our with the Climate change and the uh, the way that the Earth is you know is being kind of we're being suffocated with the with the um, burning of rainforests and the acidification of the oceans and the uh, expansion of deserts and and the uh, you know all of these things the the our economic system the uh, the uh, uh, systemic racism. Um, Nuclear threat. The, I mean, it 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 does make you think that that what we are dealing with is not just that we need a, a different president or we need a different party. Uh, though you know, I, I'm happy to <laughs> contribute to that cause uh, and that hope. Uh, it's not a bad place to begin, but but uh, but the, a, a deep kind of uh, spiritual and moral. Uh, Kind of uh, decentering that, that we have suffered under, um, you know, which things are, are just kind of turned upside down uh, from a, a kind of an order or a way of, of, of living that that uh, that holds promise and it allows us all to breathe. Yeah. Uh, so 
it's it's it was quite extraordinary that that these crises kind of overlapped and in the midst of a, a pandemic that was on the one hand calling everybody to stay home uh, there was this arising or awakening uh, from the image of, of George Floyd and then other kinds of uh, you know similar uh, uh, incidents uh, that simply that that forced so many people to feel that they had to they had to go out of their homes and to uh, not just to party at the beach, uh, mm-hmm. but to uh, to demonstrate, to witness, to uh, call for some really radical change. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it was kind of one of the most, you know, on the one hand this great shutdown, mm-hmm. on the other hand this great awakening. Yes. And maybe the two were related, and and it wouldn't have happened uh, if it had just been in the context of ordinary life. But having everything kind of stopped and for us to, to be uh, confronting, uh, you know, uh, our mortality and our the way we are also, uh, you know, connected in ways that we that we take for granted, um, that uh, perhaps made people more sensitized or, or uh, aware of the fact that they don't want to just go back to the way things were before. They want Absolutely. something um, radically different and radically hopeful. In that, in that quiet, I think we could not escape hearing and seeing, being witnessed to. And I think it brings us to the reality that um, even the timing of this, this book, and it is a real treasure, you give the sacred image of God in human beings. And I find where I might feel overwhelmed with what can I do to respond, I'm very touched by the various people that you have chosen to feature in a living gospel because it equips me to do what I can where I am to the people that are on my way um, to be to see in everyone their belovedness and and to stand for their rights in every opportunity I get I love your book I urge people to read it it's anything you write by the way Robert is worth reading it really is you're a wonderful writer so it's always great fun to open something from you but I just would encourage people this book is a treasure you'll enjoy it you will find uh, that which will inspire you as to how to live the day you're in right now I think that's that's it's got great worth in that area thank you Robert thanks so much Thank you. Uh, Thank you very much. Always a pleasure talking to you, Karen. Thank you for taking time to listen. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Robert Ellsberg and you found it as inspiring and moving as I did. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we'd be so grateful if you'd take time to give it a stellar review or a thumbs up or even share it with your family and friends. As well, you're going to find links in the show notes of our website for any content or resources that were discussed in this episode. There's even a link to books to get you started in case you are new to the writings of Henry Nouwen. Thanks for listening. Until next time.